Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This is going to be Alma chapter 40. This is a continuation of Alma's discussion to his son, Corianton, who was uh, became a wayward missionary, and so he's reclaiming him. Alma teaches Corianton about death and resurrection in this chapter, and he also teaches that after we are resurrected, the righteous will be restored to happiness and the wicked will be restored to misery. Alma teaches Corianton about justice and mercy. These three chapters, um, 40 to 42, also cover the resurrection, the restoration of the body, and justice and mercy. Now, Corianton believed in the teachings of, the ne of Nehor. Corianton's problems stemmed from doctrinal misunderstandings, and so Alma uses the principles taught in Doctrine and Covenants section 121 to teach his son. And that has to do with uh, the powers of the priesthood are maintained upon the principles of righteousness. So ask a few questions here. How can justice and mercy work together to save us? So be thinking about that as we talk about uh, justice and mercy in these chapters. Uh, chapter 40, verse 1. Now, my son, here is somewhat more I would say unto thee, for I perceive that thy mind is worried concerning the resurrection of the dead. Behold, I say unto you that there is no resurrection, or I would say, in other words, that this mortal does not put on immortality, this corruption does not put on incorruption until after the coming of Christ. In other words, Christ will be the first person to be resurrected. Behold, he bringeth to pass the resurrection of the dead, but behold, my son, the resurrection is not yet. Now I unfold unto you a mystery, nevertheless there are many mysteries which are kept, that no one knoweth them save God himself. But I show unto you one thing which I have inquired diligently of God that I might know. That is, concerning the resurrection. Uh, Jeffrey R. Holland said, Clearly not all of the Nephite prophets knew the details of the resurrection as we know them in our dispensation, though they knew a great deal for their time. For as much as, we, as was revealed about this first resurrection, and whatever implications it had for later iterations of that event, at least Alma, for one, was not given to know many of the specifics of the resurrection, even though he had inquired diligently of God that he might know them. It was a question about the doctrine of the resurrection that the increasingly humble Zeezrom put to Alma, which the prophet could refer to only as one of the mysteries of God. Years later, in teaching his son Corianton, Alma still called it a mystery, the details of which only God himself knows. Verse 4. Behold, there is a time appointed that all shall come forth from the dead. Now when this time cometh, no one knows, but God knoweth the time which is appointed. In other words, the resurrection is going to be an orderly event. And that's uh, also mentioned in Doctrine and Covenants, section 88. Verse 5, Now whether there shall be one time, or a second time, or a third time, that men shall come forth from the dead, it mattereth not, for God knoweth all these things, and it sufficeth me to know that this is the case, that there is a time appointed, that all, even sons of perdition, shall rise from the dead, knowing that we will be accountable for our actions in the next life should make us do better in this life. Verse 6, Now there must needs be a, a space betwixt, the time of death, and the time of resurrection. The spirit world, the only persons who will not have a time between death and resurrection will be those changed in the twinkling of an eye during the millennium, or those that had previously been translated that will then become uh, twinkled or 
uh, changed to their resurrected state. Verse 7, And now I would inquire what becometh of the souls of men from the, this time of death to the time appointed for the resurrection. Now this is a, rea a reality for Alma and his people because uh, he would be dying before the resurrection of Christ. So there would be a time between his death and his resurrection. Verse 8, Now whether there is more than one time appointed for men to rise, it mattereth not, for all do not die at once, and this mattereth not. All is as one day with God, and time only is measured unto man. So let's talk about this time for a minute. Abraham was told that one revolution or day on Kolob equals a thousand of our years. And the Lord said unto me by the Urim and Thummim that Kolob was after the manner of the Lord according to its times and seasons in the revolutions thereof, that one revolution was a day unto the Lord after his manner of reckoning, it being one thousand years according to the time appointed unto that whereon thou standest. This is the reckoning of the Lord's time according to the reckoning of Kolob. Continuing, um, if we were to talk about different uh, other planets or other things that uh, also revolve. So if, if Kolob's time is one day for a thousand years, so one hour of Kolob time would be 41.67 years. One minute of Kolob time would be 253 days. One second of Kolob time would be 4.2 days. A quarter of a second would be 1.1 day, and a hundredth of a second of Kolob time would be one hour on Earth. Okay, I thought it was interesting. Maybe it wasn't. Uh, the great Jehovah contemplated the whole of the events connected with the earth pertaining to the plan of salvation before it rolled into existence. The morning stars sang together for joy. The past, the present, and the future were and are with him one eternal now. And that was by Joseph Smith. Verse 9, Therefore there is a time appointed unto men that they shall rise from the dead, and there is a space between the time of death and the resurrection. And now concerning this space of time, what becometh of the souls of men is the thing which I have inquired diligently of the Lord to know. And this is the thing of which I do know. Even though Alma has sought diligently to know concerning the resurrection, he has not given all the information. Our dispensation seems to be the time when we know much more about the resurrection than any other time at least that we have a record of. Verse 10, And when the time cometh, when all shall rise, then shall they know that God knoweth all the times which are appointed unto man. Now concerning the state of the soul, meaning the spirit in this case, soul really means the combination of the spirit and body, between death and the resurrection, behold, it has been made known unto me by an angel that the spirits of all men, as soon as they are departed from this mortal body, yea, the spirits of all men, whether they be good or evil, are taken home to that God who gave them life. Now we need to analyze this verse a little bit deeper. Uh, when it says that they're taken home to God, that not directly to God, but into the spirit world. Brigham Young says, where does the spirit go after death? I will tell you. Will I locate them? Yes, if you wish me to. They do not pass out of the organization of this earth on which we live. In other words, the spirit world is here on earth. You read in the Bible that when the spirit leaves the body, it goes to God who gave it. Now tell me where God is not. If you please, you cannot. How far would you have to go in order to go to God if your spirits were unclothed? In other words, without a, without a physical body. Would you have to go out of this bowery to find God if you were in the spirit? It reads that the spirit goes to God who gave it. Let me render this scripture a little plainer. When the spirits leave their bodies, they are in the presence of our Father and God. They are prepared then to see, hear, and understand spiritual things. But where is the spirit world? It is incorporated within this celestial system. Can you see it with your natural eyes? No. Can you see spirits in this room? No. Suppose the Lord should touch your eyes that you might see. Could you then see the spirits? Yes, as plainly as you, see, as you now see bodies, as did the servant of Elijah. If the Lord would permit it, and it was his will that it should be done, 
you could see the spirits that have departed from this world as plainly as you now see bodies with your natural eyes. Harold B. Lee said, as I understand what President Young is saying, when we go home to God, it is just like going back to our home country. We may not go into the presence of the governor of the state where we live, but we will go to the, house, to the home country, and there we shall find our level among the people with whom we are most accustomed to associate. To go into the presence of God is not necessarily to be placed within a few yards or rods or within a short distance of his person. That was by Orson Pratt. Alma, when he says that all the spirits of men, as soon as they are departed from the mortal body, are taken home to that God who gave them life, has the idea, doubtless, in his mind that our God is omnipresent, not in his own personality, but through his minister, the Holy Spirit. He does not intend to convey the idea that they are immediately ushered into the presence the personal presence of God, he evidently uses that phrase in a qualified sense. And that was by George Q. Cannon. Heber C. Kimball said, As for my going into the immediate presence of God when I die, I do not expect it. But I expect to go into the world of spirits and associate with my brethren and preach the gospel in the spirit world and prepare myself in every necessary way to receive my body again and then enter through the wall into the celestial world. Verse 12, And then shall it come to pass that the spirits of those who are righteous are received into a state of happiness, which is called paradise. I will say something about the spirits in prison. There has been much said by modern divines about the word of Jesus when on the cross to the thief, saying, This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. King James' translation make it out to say paradise, but what is paradise? It is a modern word. It does not answer at all the original word that Jesus made use of. There is nothing in the original word in Greek from which this was taken that signifies paradise, but it was this day that thou shalt be with me in the world of spirits. Hades, the Greek, or Sheol, the Hebrew, these two significations mean a world of spirits. Hades, Sheol, paradise, spirits, and prison, all are one. It is a world of spirits. That was by Joseph Smith. Remember that those that enter into the paradise are those that have been baptized and kept their covenants. All others will go into spirit prison or to a state of a place to be taught the gospel. Uh, continuing verse 12, a state of rest, a state of peace. This is a partial judgment that occurs where they shall rest from all their troubles and from all care and sorrow. Joseph Smith said, when, when men are prepared to, for death, they are better off to go hence. The spirits of the just are exalted to a greater and more glorious work. Hence, they are blessed in their departure to the world of spirits. Enveloped in flaming fire, they are not far from us and know and understand our thoughts, feelings, and, and emotions, and are often pained therewith. Harold B. Lee said, where is the spirit world? Is it away up in the heavens? That isn't what the scriptures and our brethren explained. They have told us the spirit world is right here round about us. And the only spirits who can live here are those who are assigned to fill their missions here on earth. This is the spirit world. And if our eyes could be opened, we could see those who have departed from us, a father, mother, brother, and a sister, a child. We could see them. And sometimes when our physical senses are asleep, sometimes our spiritual self, and we have ears, spiritual ears and spiritual eyes, sometimes they will be very keen and awake and a departed one may come while we are lying asleep and come into our consciousness. We'll feel an impression. We'll wake up. Where does it come from? It comes from the spirits of those whom we are sealed to. Parley P. Pratt said, The spirit world is here on the very planet where we were born. The earth and all other planets of a like sphere have their inward or spiritual spheres, as well as their outward or temporal. <clears throat> the one is peopled by temporal tabernacles and the other by spirits. A veil is drawn between the one sphere and the other, whereby all the objects in the spiritual sphere are rendered invisible to those in the temporal. 
Verse 13, And then shall it come to pass that the spirits of the wicked, yea, who are evil, for behold, they have no part nor portion of the Spirit of the Lord. For behold, they chose evil works rather than good. Therefore the spirit of the devil did enter into them and take possession of their house. And these shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And this because of their iniquity, being led captive by the will of the devil. Now this is the state of the souls of the wicked, yea, in darkness, and a state of awful, fearful looking for the fiery indignation of the wrath of God upon them. Thus they remain in this state. So these are those that did not make or keep covenants in the next life. They go into this into the spirit world part where it's um, a place of teaching and a place of um, learning. Orson Pratt said, we might now inquire, what is the cause of this intense suffering and misery? Is it the action of the elements upon the spirit? Is it the materials of nature operating from without upon it that causes this distress, this weeping, wailing, mourning, and lamentation? It may be in some measure, it may help to produce the misery and the wretchedness, but there is something connected with the spirit itself that no doubt produces this weeping, wailing, and mourning. What is that something? It is memory and remorse of conscience, a memory of which they have, a memory of what they have done, a memory of their disobedience. Do you not suppose the spirits can have power to remember in that world as well as in this? Yes, they certainly can. Have you never read in the Book of Mormon where it informs us that every act of our lives will be fresh upon the memory and we shall have a clear consciousness of all our doings in this life? In this life, things that may have been erased from your memory for years will be presented before you with all the vividness as if they had just taken place. This will be like a worm upon the conscience. It will prey upon the spirit and produce unhappiness, wretchedness, and misery. This will, be, this will cause you to lament and mourn and weep after you are cast out from the presence of God. I'm hoping that those that repent aren't going to be in that situation where they can remember all their bad things. I hope that that's been taken away. Elder Talmadge said, many, of, many other great truths not known before have been declared to the people, and one of the greatest is that to hell there is an exit as well as an entrance. Hell is no place to which a vindictive judge sends prisoners to suffer and to be punished principally for his glory, but it is a place prepared for the teaching, the disciplining of those who fail to learn here upon the earth what they should have learned. No man will be kept in hell longer than is necessary to bring him to a fitness for something better. When he reaches that stage, the prison doors will open, and there will be rejoicing among the hosts who welcome him into a better state. Continuing verse 14, as well as the righteous in paradise until the time of their resurrection. The righteous, those who have received the ordinances of salvation and proven faithful to the attendant covenants, go into paradise at the time of their physical death. It would appear that all others, including the good and noble men and women of the earth who died without a knowledge of the gospel, enter into hell, outer darkness, or what is sometimes called spirit prison. This second division is not simply a place of suffering, but also a place of preparation and learning. Joseph Smith taught concerning the necessity of ordinances for entrance into paradise. Every man that has been baptized and belongs to the kingdom has a right to be baptized for those who have gone before. And as soon as the law of the gospel is obeyed here, the, the gospel ordinance, by their friends who act as proxy for them, the Lord has administrators there to set them free. So in other words, those that are in spirit prison who have not had ordinances performed for them, once they've accepted them and the ordinances have been, have been performed on earth by someone in their in their behalf, then they are set free from that spirit prison and let go into paradise. <clears throat> Elder McConkie said, before, the, before Christ bridged the gulf between paradise and hell so that the righteous could mingle with the wicked and preach them the gospel, 
The wicked in hell were confined to locations which precluded them from contact with the righteous in paradise. Now that the righteous spirits in paradise have been commissioned to carry the message of salvation to the wicked spirits in hell, there is a certain amount of mingling together of the good and the bad spirits. Repentance opens the prison doors to the spirits in hell. It enables those bound with the chains of hell to free themselves from darkness, unbelief, ignorance, and sin. As rapidly as they can overcome these obstacles and break the chains of hell, they can leave the hell that imprisons them and dwell with the righteous in the peace of paradise. Remember that when the founding fathers appeared um, to Wilford Woodruff and, and requested that their ordinances be performed, how adamant that they were about it, that they wanted to be relieved or re released from spirit prison so that they could go into paradise. And so he did that on their behalf. <clears throat> Verse 15, now there are some that have understood that this state of happiness and this state of misery of the soul before the resurrection was a first resurrection. Yea, I admit it may be termed a resurrection, the raising of the spirit or the soul and their consignation to happiness or misery, according to the words which have been spoken. And behold, again, it hath been spoken that there is a first resurrection, a resurrection of all those who have been or who are or who shall be down to the resurrection of Christ from the dead. In other words, all the righteous saints that lived prior to Jesus were going to be resurrected at his resurrection. This verse has proven problematic in the past. On the surface, it would appear that Alma is suggesting that the first resurrection consists of the rising of all people who lived and died from the days of Adam to the meridian of time, righteous and wicked alike, at the time of Christ's resurrection. We know from Abinadi and from modern revelation that only the celestial and the terrestrial bodies come forth in the first resurrection. Alma finally clarifies his meaning in verse 20 when he states that the souls and the bodies are reunited of the righteous at the resurrection of Christ. Little McConkie said, To those who lived before the resurrection of Christ, the day of his coming from the, forth from the dead was known as the first resurrection. Abinadi and Alma, for instance, so considered it. To those who have lived since that day, the first resurrection is yet future and will take place at the, at the time of the second coming. We have no knowledge that the resurrection is going on now or that any persons have been resurrected since the day in which Christ came forth, excepting Peter, James, and Moroni, <clears throat> all of whom had special labors to perform in this day, which necessitated tangible resurrected bodies. Though all men are assured of a resurrection, all will not be resurrected at the same time, and there will be varying degrees of glory for, for immortal persons, and will come forth for, all will come forth from the grave, but every man in his own order. Joseph Fielding Smith said, while there was a general resurrection of the righteous at the time Christ arose from the dead, it is customary for us to speak of the resurrection of the righteous at the second coming of Christ as the first resurrection. It is the first to us, for we have little thought or concern over that which is past. The Lord has promised that at the time of his second advent, the graves will be opened and the just shall come forth to reign with him on the earth for a thousand years. In modern revelation given to the church, the Lord has made known more in revelation to this glorious event. There shall be at least two classes which shall have the privilege of the resurrection at this time. First, those who shall dwell in the, in the, those who shall dwell in the presence of God and his Christ forever. And the second, honorable men, <clears throat> those who belong to the terrestrial kingdom as well as those of the celestial kingdom. 
At the time of the coming of Christ, they who have slept in their graves shall come forth, for their graves shall be opened, and they also shall be caught up to meet him in the midst of the pillar of heaven. They are Christ's, the firstfruits, they who shall descend with him first, and they who are on the earth and in their graves, who are first caught up to meet him. And all this by the voice of the sounding of the trump of the angel of God. That was section 88. Following this great event, and after the Lord and, his, and the righteous who are caught up to meet him have descended upon the earth, there will come to pass another resurrection. This may be considered as part of the first, although it comes later. In this resurrection will come forth those of the terrestrial order who are not worthy to be caught up to meet him, but who are worthy to come forth to enjoy the millennial reign. All liars and sorcerers and adulterers and all who love and make a lie shall not receive the resurrection of this at this time, but for a thousand years shall be thrust down into hell where they shall suffer the wrath of God until they pay the price of their sinning, if it is possible, by the things which they shall suffer. These are the spirits of men who are to be judged and are found under condemnation. And these are the rest of the dead, and they live not again until the thousand years are ended, neither again until the end of the earth. These are the hosts of the telestial world who are condemned to suffer the wrath of God on earth and who are cast down to hell and suffer the wrath of Almighty God until the fullness of times when Christ shall have subdued all enemies under his feet and shall have perfected his work. Verse 17, Now we do not suppose that this first resurrection, which is spoken of in this manner, can be the resurrection of the souls and their consignation to happiness or misery. Ye cannot suppose that this is what it meaneth. Behold, I say unto you, Nay, but it meaneth the reuniting of the soul with the body of those from the days of Adam down to the resurrection of Christ. But only the righteous were resurrected at the time of Christ's resurrection. There were none of the wicked or those to inherit the terrestrial, celestial, or sons of perdition that were resurrected when Christ was. Verse 19, Now whether the souls of the bodies of those of whom has been spoken shall all be reunited at once, the wicked as well as the righteous, I do not say. Let it suffice that I say that all come forth. Or in other words, their resurrection cometh to pass before the resurrection of those who die after the resurrection of Christ. Now, my son, I do not say that their resurrection cometh at the resurrection of Christ, but behold, I give it as my opinion that the souls and the bodies are reunited of the righteous. Here, Alma clarifies that it is to be the righteous dead that will be resurrected when Christ is resurrected. Continuing verse 20, at the resurrection of Christ and his ascension into heaven. <clears throat> But whether it be at his resurrection or after, I do not say, but this much I say, that there is a space between death and the resurrection of the body and a state of the soul in happiness or in misery until the time which is appointed of God that the dead shall come forth and be reunited both soul and body and be, and be brought to stand before God and be judged according to their works. There are those who suppose that death brings with it a restoration of pre-earth knowledge. The scriptures do not sustain such an idea. Were this the case, those in the spirit world who had not heard the gospel would hardly be judged according to men in the flesh as revelation, ancient and modern, assists, asserts. That was by Millet McConkie. Verse 22, Yea, this bringeth about the restoration of those things of which has been spoken by the mouths of the prophets. The soul, meaning the spirit, shall be restored to the body and the body to the soul, the spirit. Yea, and every limb and joint shall be restored to its body. Yea, even a hair of the head shall not be lost. We don't get back every hair or every fingernail. Uh, but all things shall be restored to their proper and perfect frame. 
Joseph F. Smith said, speaking of the resurrection, deformity will be removed, defects will be eliminated, and men and women will return again to the perfection of their spirits, to the perfection that God designed in the beginning. It is his purpose that men and women, his children, born to become heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, shall be made perfect physically as well as spiritually through obedience to the law by which he has provided the means that perfection shall come to all his children. Again, Joseph Fielding Smith said, <clears throat> A little sound thinking will reveal to us that it would be inconsistent for our bodies to be ra raised with all kinds of imperfections. Some men have been burned at the stake for the sake of truth. Some have been beheaded, and others have had their bodies torn asunder. For example, John the Baptist was beheaded and received his resurrection at the time of the resurrection of our Redeemer. It is impossible for us to think of him coming forth from the dead, holding his head in his hands. I guess he did have a sense of humor. Our reasons, our reason says he was physically complete in the resurrection. He appeared to the prophet Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery with a perfect resurrected body. Dallin Oaks has said, many living witnesses can testify to the literal fulfillment of these scriptural assurances <clears throat> of the resurrection. Many, including some of my own extended family, have seen a departed loved one in vision or personal appearance and have witnessed their restoration in perfect and proper form in the prime of life. Whether these were manifestations of persons already resurrected or of righteous spirits awaiting an assured resurrection, the reality and nature of the resurrection of mortals is evident. What a comfort to know that all who have been disadvantaged in life from birth defects, from mortal injuries, from disease, or from the natural deterioration of old age will be resurrected in proper and perfect frame. The question frequently arises as to whether a child that died in infancy will remain a child in the hereafter and whether in the resurrection the spirit will take up the same body that it tabernacled in the flesh. The doctrine of the church in this respect was very clearly set forth by the late President Joseph F. Smith in an editorial in an improvement era of June 1904 where he said, The body will come forth as it is laid to rest, for there is no growth or development in the grave. As it is laid down, so will it arise, and changes to perfection will come by the law of restitution. But the spirit will continue to expand and develop to the full stature of man. Parents, therefore, who have been parted from their children by death may rest assured that if worthy through obedience to the principles of the gospel, they will not only meet their children in the spirit world, but will also recognize them and know them as they knew them in this life. Parents, too, have even a greater comfort in the fact that their little ones, whose lives on earth were cut short, will continue to grow and develop and receive every blessing to which their inheritance and faithfulness will entitle them. Joseph Smith taught that uh, those uh, children that die in infancy will be raised as a child, and then their parents will be able to raise them uh, until their physical bodies match the stature of their full-grown spirits. Verse 24, Now, my son, this is the restoration of which has been spoken by the mouths of the prophets, and then shall the righteous shine forth in the kingdom of God. Here, then, is eternal life, to know the only wise and true God, and you have got to learn how to be gods yourselves, and to be kings and priests to God, the same as all gods have done before you, namely by going from one small degree to another, and from a small capacity to a great one, from grace to grace, from exaltation to exaltation, until you attain to the resurrection of the dead, and are able to dwell in everlasting burnings, and to sit in glory, as do those who, are, who sit enthroned in everlasting power. That was by Joseph Smith. And then concluding chapter 40, 
Verse 26, But behold, an awful death cometh upon the wicked, for they die as to things pertaining to things of righteousness, for they are unclean, meaning the sons of perdition. And no unclean thing can inherit the kingdom of God, but they are cast out and consigned to partake of the fruits of their labors of their, or their works, which have been evil, and they drink the dregs of a bitter cup. Sons of perdition shall suffer the full wrath and justice of God, since they will not repent, they will suffer the effects of their sins for eternity. Thus eventually all are redeemed from spiritual death except those who have sinned unto death, that is, those who are destined to be the sons of perdition. And that last thing was by Millard McConkie. I bear testimony of the truth of, I'm sorry, that was Bruce R. McConkie. The, I, I bear testimony of the truth of these things that uh, this chapter on resurrection and justice and, and uh, life after death is true. And I bear that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.